Welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degler, and today we are going to have a bit of a deep dive into the world of commercial airlines and adjacent topics and hear from a few startups making a dent in the industry from very different sides. But let us start with a European tech news briefing courtesy of our reporter, Animas Grove, and the founding editor, Robin Wouters. Hi, I'm Annie Musgrove of TechEU, and here are some of the most important news stories in European tech. People in the German town of Gönheide, 38 kilometers southeast of Berlin, are protesting against the plan to build a Tesla gigafactory in the region. The Financial Times reports that the locals are concerned about the traffic chaos the plant will bring, the future of a water conservation zone where the plant will be built, the loss of a pine forest, and things like that. On the other hand, there have been counter-demonstrations in favor of Tesla. The arguments on that side include that the factory will employ up to 12,000 people. At one of the demonstrations, the Financial Times says, a man held up a sign saying, Elon, I want a car from you. Up next, the U.S.-based shared e-scooter company Bird has confirmed the acquisition of its German competitor, Cirque. The news comes a few months after TechCrunch reported Cirque was struggling and had issued a round of layoffs. The acquisition talks were reportedly prompted by Cirque trying to raise Series B funding. Cirque still has some 300 employees in Europe who will now be added to Bird's European operations. Next, the European Parliament wants common smartphone chargers in order to reduce e-waste across Europe and expects tight rules to be put together by July 2020. The current consensus in the media is that this could mean a big change for Apple. If a decision is made to adopt USB-C as the charging standard, the Cupertino-based company would probably have to ditch its own proprietary lightning cables. That obviously caused a lot of headache for Apple itself and thousands of accessory manufacturers and, ironically, generate tons of e-waste. Next, French startup Acrylic has announced plans for an investment of 223 million US dollars by Glory Global Solutions. Technically, the funding is still subject to review by Acrylic's employee representatives and competition authorities. Acrylic focuses on customer experience technology. Among other things, it's developed kiosks, drive-thrus, and self-checkouts for the likes of McDonald's, Burger King, KFC, Walmart, and Carrefour. Acrylic is headquartered in Santibo de Vigne, and now has 40,000 installations in more than 70 countries. Next, Swedish fintech unicorn Klarna has landed 200 million US dollars in funding from the Commonwealth Bank of Australia, or CBA, for its Australia launch. Back in August, the CBA already invested another 100 million US dollars. That was part of a larger funding round of 460 million US dollars at a total valuation of 5.5 billion US dollars. The CBA now owns a 5.5% stake in Klarna, and the bank's customers will be the first to use Klarna as a service connected to their accounts. Next, Monomono, a DIY marketplace startup from France, has secured 125 million euros in a Series E round. The round was led by Temasek, which is a global investment company headquartered in Singapore. Monomono, founded in 2013, is a European marketplace for all things DIY, home improvement, and gardening. 
Outside of France, the company is present in Spain, Italy, Germany, and the UK. Next, Currency Cloud, a startup from London, has raised 80 million US dollars to take on the Western unions of the world. Currency Cloud has built a set of 85 remittance APIs, which let any financial business integrate money transfer services into its platform. Even if you're using one of those APIs on a daily basis, there's no way of knowing it. Currency Cloud founder Mike Lavin told TechCrunch that the startup is, quote, not competing with our customers and that its brand always stays, quote, invisible. The company has 350 clients using its APIs and it employs 230 people. Next, Chinese tech firm Huawei has been designated a high-risk vendor by the UK government, but will still be given the opportunity to build non-core elements of the country's 5G network. That still goes against a series of warnings from the Trump administration over the last few weeks. The Guardian reports that while the U.S. remained disappointed with the decision to allow, quote, an untrusted vendor into the U.K. market, the security and economic relationship between the two countries was too important to jeopardize in a row over mobile phone technology. Next, the browser company Opera from Norway has acquired Estonian startup Pocosys, which has developed a banking-as-a-service software. The deal includes an agreement to also take over PocoPay, the startup sister company, which holds a payment institution license and provides financial services in the European Union. With these acquisitions, Tallinn will become Opera's second European hub for fintech services, following Gothenburg, Sweden. Finally, the Swiss brand management platform Frontify has raised 22.3 million US dollars in a Series B funding round led by EQT Ventures. The platform of Frontify covers different parts of brand management, including brand assets, marketing, design, etc. The list of some 2,500 clients of Frontify includes Facebook, Dyson, Centrica, Lufthansa, Vodafone, and Allianz. These were some of the most important European tech news from the week of January 27th. I'm Annie Musgrove. Now back to Andre. Thank you so much, Annie. That's a brilliant recap. And now let us talk about innovation and startups working in the aviation industry. A week and a half ago, I went to Barcelona for a couple of days to attend the demo day of Hangar 51, which is the corporate acceleration program of IAG. In case you don't know this name, which I also didn't, IAG stands for International Airlines Group, and it is a holding company that includes British Airways, Iberia, Vueling, Level, Aer Lingus, and a few others. So in the interest of full disclosure, I need to mention that Hangar 51 covered my travel and accommodation expenses for this trip, but had no influence whatsoever on this coverage. So the Hangar 51 program has the same idea as most accelerators out there, I guess. And it's that a number of startups apply and get chosen to participate in the program. The program lasts 10 weeks. And in the case of Hangar 51, most startups actually don't spend all this time under one roof, but rather decide for themselves whether they want to be there or elsewhere and uh, where and how they want to spend their time. The accelerator does not invest money directly in startups accepted in the program, but it is possible for some of them to receive receive a follow-up investment from the program's venture fund uh, named creatively Hangar 51 Ventures. And the main benefit of being in the program for startups is the opportunity to do pilot projects with the airlines and other members of the holding. The demo day came at the end of the program and was held in La Pedrera of Casa Mila, one of Barcelona's iconic buildings designed by the famous architect Antoni Gaudi. 
The event 14 teams presented their solutions and projects that they had started. I watched all the presentations and I chose four startups that picked my interest most to do a series of brief interviews. That's what I wanted to share with you today. I do hope that you like my choice. I do hope that you like the teams and products that I decided to feature. The first one up is Whisper. That's a startup from Denmark. It's spelled W-H-I-S-P-R. And this startup transforms all kinds of checklists and manuals into interactive audio guides. The idea here is that an employee wouldn't have to look at a manual every couple of minutes while performing their tasks, but rather get the guidance through an earpiece. So let's hear it from Hugh O'Flanagan, the CEO and co-founder of Whisper. So Whisper is a digital assistant that's available to people that work on their feet. So what does that mean? It means that we take text instruction or manuals or standard operating procedures that exist within businesses and we convert that into voice and on-screen information that's available to workers whenever they need it. So this could be a worker that has just started in a role, they might be uh, there for some time, but they need real-time information, they need the benefits of technology, but they need them in a format that makes sense if your eyes are busy and your hands are busy through your job. Um, so we deliver that either into the ear or on the screen of the, the worker's device. They can interact with that information then in different ways. And how big are you at the moment? How big is the team? Uh, we're 10 people today. We raised a pre-seed round of financing at the end of 2018, and we will be raising an additional round of financing soon. Right. How much did you raise? $750,000. Right. So what was your pilot here about and uh, whom was it with? So we pitched Hangar 51 back in the summer in Madrid. And what we wanted to do was really focus on the voice component of Whisper. All of the workers that exist throughout the group, through all of the operating companies, work on their feet, right? So we needed to develop a solution for them that enabled them to get all the information they needed in the moment while also having an assistant available to them to answer their questions, to guide them through the process and make sure that safety and efficiency were always maintained. We had two sponsors through the program. One was the maintenance division of Iberia and the second was the airport services division of Iberia. So with maintenance, we, we helped their engineers and technicians, a lot of whom have been there for four or five years, really experienced people. And we guided them through a inspection check of wide body aircraft. So some of their A330 or A350 aircraft that stop in Madrid. For the airport services team, we worked with them on some of their safety items and safety checklists that exist around the aircraft turnaround processes. So they conduct turnarounds for Iberia aircraft and for lots of other airlines in 29 airports around Spain. 10 minutes prior to departure, a flight dispatcher has to conduct a safety inspection. Now they can do that through audio and they can voice confirm that they've checked certain things like there's no foreign object damage, that the ground power unit register is closed, very technical things like that. Right. So how does it work uh, in terms of the noise environment? Uh, airports and hangars are not exactly quiet places. So if you have to say something, if you have to confirm something with, with your voice, uh, there must be pretty big uh, probability that something will go wrong. A lot of the testing that we did throughout the program was around uh, high noise environments. What we found was that you can use Whisper up to and about 80 decibels, which means that if you are standing directly beside the travelator that brings the baggage in and out of the aircraft, if the engines aren't being started up, you're not going to be able to be heard. Uh, so we focused on the areas that that wasn't the case. So when an aircraft is on stand, when an aircraft is in the hangar, uh, noise is actually quite limited. 
Right. And uh, today, during the demo day, I saw another startup, uh, Donacle. And uh, my question is, uh, they are doing this drone inspection. Can your product can be just replaced by a drone inspection when it, when it, when it is about uh, the plane inspection? So there's very different components to visual inspection and to routine inspection checks. Right. We were more routine, so we were more embedded into the operations of the day-to-day. We conducted you know, 20 tests with maintenance and over 50 tests with airport services because we can be central to the activities of those businesses. The key thing about visual versus audio, right, which is kind of what you're, what you're getting at there, when we convert text to speech and then speech back into text, that has cents to the dollar to produce compared to any sort of AR, VR, video, any of those sorts of solutions. Uh, so what Whisper provides is an opportunity for these organizations to actually roll this out at scale across their 200 flight dispatchers in Madrid. Maybe it's their 75 flight engineers just at Madrid Paracas Airport. And it enables them to actually adopt a solution that they could adopt throughout the whole group. I think there were a lot of awesome products that were on display today at the demo day, which you saw, I think the benefit of audio and the benefit of an audio AR solution is that you can run it at a much more effective rate. So the program is now over. Uh, what happens to Whisper now? What's next? What happens to Whisper now with, with IAG is that we continue working uh, with Iberia on our two projects. Uh, we will maintain that relationship. We have a product roadmap established with both of those teams that will keep us busy for the next number of months. What happens for our business as a whole is we will continue to uh, build our product, continue to uh, deliver in the aviation market, but also in other markets like hotels and facilities management, and we'll continue to raise additional venture capital. Do you think uh, IAG would be one of your uh, future investors? We would love to have someone like IAG as one of our future investors. The great thing about a company with the IAG with a venture arm and also then through the Hangar 51 accelerator arm is that it massively cuts down the period from pitching to deployment, right? If you go into any other company the size of IAG, you'll run out of cash before you can even get a contract on the table. Right. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Coming up next is Donacle, which I just mentioned in the interview with Whisper. So Donacle is based in France, where it is working on using drones for aircraft inspection. So the fit with the program was quite obvious here. Let's hear some more details from the CEO and co-founder of the company, Jocelyne Becquet. Donacle, we develop automated aircraft inspection solutions using drones. So we founded the company in 2015, and basically the solution addresses aircraft and visual inspections in general. So an aircraft has to be inspected on a regular basis, whether it's for scheduled maintenance or after unplanned events like lightning strikes, hail strikes, etc., where basically the aircraft has to be grounded and inspected before you can take off again. And so currently these inspections is just a human inspector walking around the aircraft, going on cherry pickers platforms to find potential damages. Uh, it's very time-consuming, a very manual process and subjective process. And so what we've developed is a solution that uses automated drones, so no pilot at all, which are going to fly automatically around the aircraft in under an hour, basically, gather a lot of high-resolution pictures, and then we've developed some image analysis software which is going to go through these images um, and detect potential damages, findings, so for example, lightning strikes, to uh, propose them to the inspector and basically streamline the entire inspection process. Right. So, And uh, did you work with uh, other airlines before coming to this uh, accelerator? Uh, yes. So we, so our very, very first partner was uh, Air France KLM. Um, being based in France, obviously, that was pretty natural for us. 
Uh, we've been collaborating for quite a long time with uh, Airbus as well uh, on the manufacturer side. And then quite a few other airlines or aircraft maintenance providers we've been working with. So Austrian Airlines, who's part of the Lufthansa Group, LATAM in South America, uh, AAR, who's the largest um, aircraft maintenance company in the US. So quite a few of them, yeah. And you're based in Toulouse, right? Exactly. So the Airbus connection uh, sounds kind of obvious. It makes sense. (laughs) How big is the company right now? Uh, We're just over 20 people. Right. Have you already raised uh, venture funding? We raised a first round in 2016, and we're currently looking at a, a future round to, to fuel our commercial expansion. Right. Uh, do you build your own drones uh, for, the, um, per, for, for the purposes that uh, you have? So, so, so we do. It's a minor part, I'd say, of the solution. Most of the value comes from the automation side and mm-hmm. the image analysis software. Uh, but for a variety of reasons, we do build our own platform, and the main one is really to guarantee the safety of the operations. So we have to have a drone where we control pretty much anything that happens on board in terms of electronics, firmware, software, so that whatever happens, we're not going to collide with the aircraft or hit personnel, that sort of thing. So each uh, aircraft model is uh, different, uh, which means that you have to have like separate programs for each model of aircraft, right? How long would it take you to add a new one? It depends. So um, right now we have pretty much the entire Airbus and Boeing narrowbody fleets uh, integrated, which is a good chunk of the, the worldwide fleet. Um, quite a few business jets, um, smaller aircraft, military aircraft as well. Um, the idea is we we take we build into the the drone software a three D model of the aircraft, and then the drone during the flight is going to compare what it sees of its environment with that three D model. For smaller aircraft, basically smaller than the A320, it's fairly straightforward. We need to build or have an accurate model of the aircraft. And then based on that, we develop the missions. Uh, we simulate them, we test them to ensure they're safe and they can be easily operated by uh, an airline, a maintenance provider, or uh, an air force. Um, and we're currently working on wide bodies, so larger aircraft, where there's um, some more technical developments to, um, to go through, but uh, that's going to come pretty soon as well. Right. So what was your pilot with uh, IAG about and uh, how did it go? So we we worked essentially with Iberia Maintenance in Madrid um, and the number one focus was lightning strikes. Mm -hmm. Um, So Iberia gets quite a few. They fly a lot to South America where a lot of their aircraft are hit by lightning during flight. Uh, And obviously it's quite a pain point because whenever the aircraft lands after it's been hit by lightning, you have to inspect it, you have to map all the damages. Uh, and then in some cases you can take off again or you have to conduct the repairs. And since you can't plan a lighting strike, it disrupts the entire travel operation. Uh, and so the more you can speed up that operation, automate it, the, the higher the value it adds. So that was the first item we looked at. And then based on that, we developed other use cases as well, looking at uh, paintware, uh, mandatory placards on the aircraft, or just general damage mapping on the structure. How often uh, does it happen that a plane is uh, struck by lightning? On average, around the world, it's around once per aircraft per year. Um, mm-hmm. In some regions, it's less than that. In some regions, like the tropics, um, Southeast Asia or South America, it can be a lot more. It can be three times, four times a year. Right. And I think in your presentation today, you also mentioned uh, that you uh, require certain regulatory approval to actually be able to uh, introduce uh, your solution. What, uh, what kind of approvals are those? 
Um, so, so there are two types of regulatory approvals. One is to be able to fly a drone in an airport environment. Right now we fly mostly indoors because in most countries you're allowed to fly uh, in a hangar without uh, any special permits. We have got authorizations to fly outdoors on airports in some countries and some airports, but we have to still do some work with the authorities to, to have that on a wider basis. And the second aspect is to prove that a drone inspection solution is equivalent to what a human can see, a human specter. And so depending on use cases, we can have more or less automation, things like paintware, placards, we can have a high level of automation. Others like uh, damage mapping, there's a very structured process and we have to follow that. And we've been working with the, the authorities and the aircraft manufacturers to get those approvals. So I um, can't say much more right now, but we'll have some, some news in the near future. How hard is it for you actually to fly outdoors, especially if it's raining or hailing or whatever, like as if it's windy, for example? So that's one of the issues as well. So there's the regulatory side, which is complex in itself. And then there's the ability to fly in a variety of conditions. Uh, it's something we've been working on. We started doing tests flying outdoors two years ago already. The essential point is we need to prove the safety of the operation, both from the people working there and the aircraft. And it's a very fairly congested environment. So it is a technical challenge. On the other hand, I'm pretty sure that for a human inspector, it's also not a great uh, uh, thing to be uh, just uh, hanging around uh, uh, when it's uh, no, when it's uh, lightning, for example. Or yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, if it's raining, for example, it's not easy for a human inspector to see something on the aircraft. Um, and then same thing when they're using cherry pickers or platforms to go on top of the aircraft. There's a wind limit, so above probably 30, 40 kilometers per hour, they won't even be able to use that equipment. So. Um, Right. Uh, I think you mentioned uh, before uh, Whisper, which was also on uh, this uh, program. Are they your competitors? Uh, Whisper? Uh No, not at all. I think we address very different sides of the the maintenance business. Uh, There's a lot of maintenance operations which are conducted in general. Based on what I've seen, and uh, they probably uh, could speak about it better better than us, but they uh, focus more on digitizing the entire maintenance process and going through checklists. Uh, We focus more on the inspection part, so we could probably say we run the drone, find some damages, uh, and we issue maintenance tasks for the inspectors or the operators, and then Whisper could come in and provide their solution to to run through that part. Right. So the program is over now. Uh, What's going to happen uh, to Donacol? How are you going to proceed? So we've got quite a, few, a lot of avenues of collaboration planned with uh, Iberia and some of the other IAG entities. Um, so right now we're in um, in the phase of basically seeing how we're going to develop based on what we did over the 10-week program. And as we mentioned during the presentation earlier, we have quite a lot of other avenues for collaboration we want to focus on. Um, outdoor flight is one, uh, wide body is another one. Iberia has quite a substantial wide body fleet. So we have quite a lot of work on our, on our hands. Right. Thanks a lot and good luck. Thanks. Thanks very much. Next up, we've got Europass, a French startup that I would say is still somewhere kind of in between an actual startup and a service company. At least that's the way I see it here. But it has a rather interesting focus as it creates solutions for businesses across Europe to attract customers and tourists from China. So I will let uh, Guillaume de Roquefay, uh, the CEO of Europass, explain what he did with Iberia. Uh, Europass is a company which is supporting uh, organization in better reaching, attracting, and also converting the Chinese travelers. Right. And where are you based? Uh, the headquarters is based in Paris, but today we have uh, local teams in uh, almost all uh, European countries because we need to speak uh, local language in Italy or in the UK, etc. 
but uh, most of the, the digital solution will be developed in Paris. Right. And how big is the company now? In terms of size, it's not a little bit more than 50 people. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We need resources. Yes. And what, uh, what kind of, uh, what kind of solutions do you provide? What do you do? So it's mostly, we call that digital solution, but, uh, You know, we start from uh, one of the fundamental, which is that China developed their own digital ecosystem. And uh, it's a new challenge for the, let's say, French or British uh, retailers, which want to attract uh, Chinese travelers. But it's an opportunity with us, uh, for us, sorry. Uh, we are supporting these guys to select which platform they, are, they have to sell, you know, to where they have to be visible. Uh, we help them to develop solutions to drive the travelers to the store. A mini program like we've seen with Iberia or something like that. So it works for uh, normal stores and uh, and online. But we also work on the mobile payment solution, which um, we believe will ease and uh, you know the conversion. If we drive a Chinese traveler to a store for one of our clients and the mobile payment solution is available at the destination, we believe that you know it will ease the, the conversion at that at that stage. And uh, how about yourself uh, personally? What did bring you to this topic? <laughs> so, with the, you know, I, I lived in China. I left uh, from right. China in 2005. I stayed there for eight years. Uh, and when you come back from China, you know, you, you, you knew something. So I, I didn't want to, to stop that. And uh, it's also uh, when I identified that, um, that coming back from China, everything I was using on a daily basis was not available there. And then I identified that there were a lot of Chinese people in Paris. I said, what do they do? And I looked at the, at the, the market of the Chinese tourism, which is clearly a very dynamic market, big growth, uh, still big opportunity because less than 10% of Chinese have a passport today. And so we decided to, uh, to check the opportunity. And, and, and again, with this fundamental of, uh, of China having their own digital ecosystem, we decided to support the organization in creating visibility on which platform in implementing Alipay solution, etc., to better uh, serve the travelers when they are at home. And the more service you provide for them, we believe the more attractive you will be. Right. And uh, what did you pitch to IAG? Uh, so when we met IAG, we were at the selection uh, pitch. And uh, basically, I, I, I just introduced the market, uh, the opportunity of Chinese travelers. Uh, again, high growth uh, markets, Uh, and still a lot in front of us. Uh, and uh, the growth is clearly driven by individual travelers. And the individual travelers, they are the one to select which airline they want to use to go to Europe. So it's an opportunity for Iberia. They have a direct line from uh, Shanghai to uh, Madrid. Uh, and we told them, let's open a new sales channel. Uh, it's not only speaking Chinese to the Chinese to attract them, because you already have your website in Chinese. But we know that people, they also spend, you know, more than 90 minutes a, a day on WeChat. So let's try to recruit them where they are and to build a, you know, one stop solution where you have the availability of the tickets. You can find the different prices and you can buy. So in less than a minute within WeChat, you can buy your tickets. And uh, what did you manage to build uh, over this uh, 10, uh, 10 weeks of the program? 10 weeks. 10 weeks is very, very quick. <laughs> uh, the most difficult part was not the development. The most difficult part was clearly to align all stakeholders that we did not imagine at all from the beginning. Uh, we are speaking with the innovation team, but that they introduced us to the finance team. The finance understood that we will collect the RMBs. 
then there was a, China, a Chinese team in China and they say, what are you doing in Spain for the China market? So we want to be involved. And then you have the marketing coming there because they already have a WeChat account and doing some other things. And you have a design team. Oh, be careful. You are using the logo of Iberia. So we need to make sure we keep the same brand. And, you know, all, all these people and, and, and the innovation team clearly managed to align everyone. So it took us something like four or five weeks to get to specification, agreed by everyone. What do we do? And then they, they left us with five weeks to develop a solution and go live, which was clearly the, the objective of the POC, to come back on the demo day saying we are alive on a WeChat mini program, first airline in Europe to do that within 10 weeks. So now uh, anyone in China can uh, buy a ticket uh, for an Iberia flight uh, on WeChat. WeChat. Correct. So uh, we still have a lot to do, meaning that it's like an e-commerce platform. It's like mm -hmm. an e-commerce website. We developed a solution. Uh, but if we don't have users, uh, we don't sell tickets. So uh, there is a work to do on the marketing part. Uh, it will not go, we don't buy a ticket like we buy a jacket when we enter a store. So we need to uh, reach the right audience at the right time. Uh, we launched the solution a few weeks before Chinese New Year, maybe too late for people booking tickets for Chinese New Year. So we clearly expect the solution to deliver results for the summertime, which is the, the highest, uh, you know, the, the strongest period for Chinese to travel to Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, happy to speak again in June to check how many tickets we sold on the WeChat Mini program. Right. And now that the program is over, are you going to continue this uh, collaboration with IAG? What is it like? So we hope so. But again, because uh, that was very, very quick, what we delivered is clearly the minimum solution. Uh, we decided to offer only the, Mad uh, the Shanghai to Madrid route to simplify the, you know, the go live. But of course, uh, with this route, we don't offer the opportunity to travelers to go to Barcelona. Maybe some uh, Iberia is also offering Shanghai uh, to London through Madrid. Mm -hmm. So um, the next step, we believe, will be to provide more services and, uh, you know, in, in the existing solution. And hopefully, and this is an IAG uh, program, we also expect to go to British Airways and Willing and check with them their you know, willingness or not to replicate the solution. Sounds good. Well, thanks so much and uh, good luck. Thank you so much. Have a good day. And the final interview of this mini-series is with Adrian Lanman, uh, the co-founder and COO of All Read. This startup comes from Barcelona, where it has been working on a technology that uses deep learning to better recognize text from images. So I was really curious here to learn more about the tech itself and where it also could be used. So let us listen to this one together. Well, uh, I'm Adrian, and um, with my co-founders, we launched a startup uh, based on a technology that was born in, in the University of Barcelona, in the Computer Vision Center of Barcelona. And it's a technology that's based on deep learning and that learns to read text, symbols, and codes out of images. Right. So it doesn't really sound like a rocket science, uh, and it, uh, an OCR has been around for a long time. So how is your tech uh, better than uh, the other stuff around? Okay. Definitely OCR exists since 30 years, but OCR with deep learning uh, reaches another level, right? In the last years, uh, the, the advances in deep learning has brought uh, the text extraction in images uh, way further than it has ever been before. And Our scientific team, actually our engineers, have invented uh, a solution based on a deep neural network that has been uh, registered, actually. Um, it's an, an mm -hmm. invention that has been um, published in various newspapers. And comparing our solution with other deep learning-based text extraction solutions, we reach levels of accuracy 
that have never been reached before. Plus, we combine this accuracy with agility, because that's the key, actually. You can do a lot of things with deep learning as long as you have a lot of data, but we're able to learn to read, even if in the most complex scenarios, even resisting to blur, to distance, to rotation or, or, or partial occlusion at a fast pace, quickly, without the need of too much data. Right. And uh, when did you launch the company? Uh, the company is quite um, quite recent. We were founded in March uh, last year. Um, we're born in the um, in the venture builder, the technology transfer based venture builder of Mobile World Capital called mm -hmm. The Collider, which actually is a program that scouts for technologies inventions that uh, are in universities and bring them uh, to the market. So they they collided the scientific team, the inventors of the technology, with entrepreneurs, which are Miguel, the CEO, and myself, to bring this idea to the market, to confront it with companies and to look for the biggest pain we could solve with text extraction. And talking to all these companies, we started focusing on where we consider is the, the, the most value added, which is logistics and supply chain. And uh, what do you mean by that? What sort of applications uh, have you explored uh, uh, outside of the aviation field, which we're going to yes. talk about a bit later? Well, actually, um, we noticed that even in the most modern and digitized companies, there's still a lot of uh, manual processes of data extraction in supply chains. Uh, and existing technologies like OCRs that you just mentioned that are not accurate enough and need a as a collateral effect, uh, a manual intervention. And companies lose a lot of money and resources extracting this data um, and or correcting the errors. So uh, examples we, we where we, we started is the reading uh, gas meters uh, and uh, water meters, you know, just making a picture as a user. Imagine yourself, you go to your, uh, your gas meter, make a picture, and it automatically sends it uh, to your provider, and then you receive the bill. So you don't need to write it down anywhere. Um, and the back office of these gas provider, for instance, uh, doesn't need to treat your request. It's just done automatically. Um, we also work with ports, ports that want to track containers uh, coming in by train or by truck uh, for ins and outs. And our technology is easily installed. It can use the camera footage of uh, security cameras and just spots the, the identification uh, of the container, digitizes it immediately and introduces it into the, the customer management system or the ERP uh, to then uh, be able to process the, the data. Um, so containers, license plates, uh, meters, but also barcodes. You know, and the warehouses become bigger every day and the laser technology of barcodes is starting to, well, has always been failing a little bit, you know, like 1% maybe or 0.x%. Well, if you have millions of products, it becomes a problem. So we want to disrupt uh, the, the, the barcode ecosystem by introducing computer vision. Imagine drones flying around a warehouse and spotting the barcodes and instantly reading them and digitizing them to make inventory or to take orders or whatever. So I think there's a lot of room for, for a technology like this to bring disruption in the supply chain. 
Right. This sounds like a lot of projects I actually see coming uh, from the academia uh, side, uh, something that is so widely applicable and yet not applied to any particular industry. So uh, of all the applications that you uh, have just listed, uh, has is anything actually like an actual project, actually something going on, like an actual customer, an actual revenue stream for the company? Yes, of course. Um, even if our company is young, um, actually we already have four ports, uh, which we're working with. Uh, mm -hmm. The first of them was the port of Barcelona, who is implementing uh, our solution. Um, we work with a construction company, it's called Comsa, uh, to extract information, uh, targeted information out of um, out of documents. So, and now IG, where even if it's an open innovation program uh, and it's not a client yet, we have high hopes uh, that proving the value uh, as we did it, um, that we bring uh, through this tracking solution, this 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 uh, reading solution, uh, that they become a, a client. So we're let's say we're a young company. Um, we we are starting to make noise, but we definitely have concrete cases and 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 clients. Right. And how big a company are you at the moment? How many people do you have? Uh, we're five. Um, and, um, yeah, we're raising a financing round right now, uh, closing it, by the way, and um, we hope to be 10 uh, in a few months. Right. So let's talk about IAG then. Uh, how was the pilot? Uh, whom did you do it with? Uh, and uh, what are the prospects now? Yeah, so um, the journey with IAG has been amazing. Um, from the first day, um, the, the demo day, at demo day, we immediately noticed that uh, they were... Uh, taking this seriously, you know, with innovation, with open innovation uh, as a startup, uh, you have to be a little bit careful because you can waste a lot of time uh, doing fancy stuff, nice to have stuff, and that at the end, um, you don't convert the client and you lose a lot of time. And the, the innovation team could um, have other KPIs as yours. And in the case of IG, uh, that's definitely not uh, what's happening. Uh, they have a target of having an immediate impact on their PNL. Uh, they want uh, technologies that are useful and that bring value to their company. So um, the collaboration has been wonderful. We've been, we have been working with uh, IAG Cargo, um, mm -hmm. Carly Morris, which is the head of innovation of, of IAG Cargo. And uh, from day one, um, we have been collaborating with, because we had to analyze the existing process to then propose together and build together a solution uh, to, to improve it. And uh, the existing situation was uh, that the process of um, fleet management for um, air containers was quite uh, paper-based and um, with a lot of double work and errors and that definitely could be improved. And uh, we developed an application that allows any field operation uh, doing inventory in a single shot, uh, making pictures and extracting immediately the data from the container to send it into the, the enterprise resource uh, planning system. So uh, thanks to that, uh, allowing the teams to spend more time fixing problems and collecting the data and and find less time doing that and more time um, on um, qualitative fleet management and service to the clients. All right, makes sense. And last question uh, on a totally different uh, topic. You mentioned that you're closing uh, financing now. So how easy or how hard is it to, for a company coming from uh, the academia and knowledge transfer institution to raise uh, a round? And what's your cap table like? Um, well, it's not easy to raise money for anybody, um, because you have to, you have to convince and, and, um, you have to have, uh, 
metrics and credits and proof that what you have is is worth uh, investing and that it has a bright future. Um, so it's a challenge for anybody, and it took us a few months, uh, but we were lucky enough to find the, the right investors to, to to come with us and prepare for for this journey. Um, well, the cap table. Um, not going to give more details on that, but um, we're five co-founders, and yeah, we're part of the company, and we're. We are not now welcoming a few more investors. But does the university own a part of the company there? The university has a part of the company, definitely. Uh, and that's a huge asset um, because um, the Computer Vision Center uh, is uh, one of the leading um, computer vision centers in the world. And having them as a partner, having them uh, continuing to investigate on new solutions and being able to, to help us um, Having always one step forward of what's existing in the market, it's an amazing asset, yes. Right. And uh, how much are you raising? Uh, less than a million. Right. Well, congratulations then. I hope you will close it soon and uh, good luck with uh, Ovrid. Thank you very much. All right. This is it for today's podcast. I do hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you liked the interviews. And if you did, do tell a friend or colleague about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse. That is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at andre at tech EU. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy your week. And I'm going to talk to you next Monday. Bye-bye. Thank you.